Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. Welcome to Series 8 of Helpful Social Work. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jo. Uh, welcome back to Series 8. We'll be recording Series 8 during 2023 and 2024. And we've decided that we need to talk about sustainable social work in terms of how we look after ourselves, keep going and, and thrive in this vital work. We're going to draw on evidence of what helps social workers, and that'll include the um, Working Conditions Toolkit from Basel, which I know we've talked about before. Um, in the first podcast, we gave overviews of the areas that were important, and we're now going to start picking up on each of these, and we're going to start with empowering ourselves we're really keen to do some podcasts with guests. So social workers who want to talk about what um, helpful social work means to them, please get in touch. And you can reach us through our website, which is www.helpfulsocialworker.com. So we're starting off with empowering ourselves. And there is a there is a, a reason behind that. There is some thinking behind that. Uh, when we were talking about the Working Conditions Toolkit last time, uh, Joe read out a bit of the introduction, which said, knowledge is power, knowing your rights at work and the evidence and understanding what's most likely to work um, and how people can support you are all important and can make a big difference. And the toolkit aims to make you feel more confident, to make your needs known and to act to make changes yourself. So there's obviously a strong element of empowerment within that, you know, wanting to be, empower ourselves to act individually and also uh, to feel empowered to ask others to support us and we talked about accountability last time as well and there is an accountability um, in the IFSW the International Federation of Social Work Code of Ethics which says that social workers have a duty to take the necessary steps to care for themselves personally and professionally in the workplace in their private lives and in society which is really interesting to think of that as kind of an ethic as a sort of philosophical imperative rather than um, something you'd do if you could if you could if you could get around to it Mm -hmm. uh, that it's really central to our work and it's a sort of truism really isn't it to look after yourself you need to look after yourself <laughs> looking after yourself is much easier when you've looked after yourself it gets mm -hmm. easier as you feel better um, yes and the first step to actually taking um taking action on it can be really hard I mean, i've been in jobs where i've been so in the job you know so kind of immersed in it that even when someone said you definitely need some support and here I am you know, and like let me help you I've actually been kind of too busy or too immersed to take that step um, so this is about the, the permission I think first of all and the philosophy of of taking action uh, and also that shared accountability of um, you know, empower ourselves absolutely but we can empower each others you know, each other both in kind of the the things that we do but also the the way that we role model mm. and I think for me Jerry when you're talking about that I just go back in to all sorts of workplaces where the whole culture um, is about lack of self-care and so people who actually put in boundaries um, and who push back start to feel like they're letting everyone else down. So there can be a real um, kind of distortion in culture sometimes that often comes from, from, from how we lead and how we kind of try and manage the work. And someone once said um, that 
one of the mistakes we make is that we keep throwing time at work. So as the work builds up and up, what we give it is more and more and more time um, and that actually that's not a solution in and of itself because, of course, our time is finite, one, and two, they're often um, in, in social work. It's not just about time. It's only one of the levers that we can pull. And so remembering to put our boundaries in place um, and to kind of set an example for ourselves but also have expectations of others is, I, I think, very important. Um, and I love the fact that the International Federation of Social Work Code of Ethics has that statement in it. Um, and in its definition of social work, it says social work promotes social change and development, social cohesion and the empowerment and liberation of people. And that's really crucial because in social work, we know we're using relationship, we're modelling, we're passing skills on to other people to allow them to manage their lives in a way that they want to. You know, we're meant to be both therapeutic and practical change agents and role models. Um, and it would be very hard for us to do that well if we don't feel empowered ourselves. And so when I was thinking, well, where do we start with these expectations? For me, the first thing is to really know your job description and really understand what's expected of you each day, physically, psychologically, mentally and emotionally, and ask yourself, like, are you comfortable with all the aspects of the role and what you're going to be doing? Your manager in your organisation has a part to play, play in this around role clarity because, you know, lack of role clarity has been identified by a health and safety executive as something that can cause or prevent stress and burnout, depending on how clear and focused and well-matched job expectations are to reality. So I kind of thought you really need to know your job description, explore ambiguous language, expectations and mismatches, ask yourself are your differences congruent with your value base and, ca and can you live with them? What could your manager do to help you do more of things that matter? Um, and having a good frank discussion with your supervisor or mentor or colleague can really help you find ways to bring meaning back into your work. Yeah, That's really interesting, isn't it? Because role clarity, we often think about it in terms of the type of work, but not so much the amount. And that's part mm. of the role clarity, isn't it? Like you need to know that you know how much how much you're yeah. expected to work, as much as as you need to know like what you're expected to do. And no no organisation would expect someone to work 24 hours a day. No. So there's always going to be a limit on the expectation of the amount of work. So um, it's about finding a um, a balance is something that will work for the organization and that might have kind of peaks and troughs but um but there isn't just everything you can possibly do all of the time you know that's just not <laughs> that's not reasonable is it uh, it's, like you say it's one of the things that really causes stress is this lack of clarity um alongside the lack of control over what comes you know it comes in front of you in the day um and that being demanding work uh and then on the counter side is the kind of the control and support that you can put um, having more agency and having more people to support you. Empowerment, essentially, is what reduces the stress. 
Uh, I know just thinking about what makes me feel empowered, what makes me feel empowered at work, but also what made me feel empowered when I was a frontline social worker or um, team manager or service manager. Um, and it's being part of a team. We talked about that in the last podcast as well, isn't it? Um, yeah, you know, being in a community of peers and having people to go to. Although, like I say, when I was really overwhelmed, that was the last thing that I felt able to do. So that's where, that's where you need people to look out for you. Um, being part of something positive and purposeful, you being part of social work and seeing that, yes, I'm doing these things, but they are for a reason. Um, but the other thing is really, for me, it's so much about being in charge of my day, at least a bit. Um, and of course, it's difficult. You know, it's different how you might be able to do that. So some of the, the roles that I've had, I've been able to take charge of my day by walking or cycling to work. Um, or I've been able to take charge of my day by finishing at a particular time um, or by taking a break or by arranging my visits. Sometimes it's about saying, OK, I know this is going to be a day of many interruptions, but I'm going to have those over this period and I'm going to have this focus work at another time. Um, sometimes it's just about forcing myself away from the desk and saying, OK, I'm going to just go a step away from here, and not look at the screen and have a cup of tea. Um, but all of those things are about asserting your agency, aren't they? And saying, actually, you know, I'm, I can, this is a machine or this is um, a person or a desk or a building that I can actually just step away from. And yes. that's OK. And that you need to step away from. I think that's the other thing is, mm. that, is that kind of understanding where you need to. And um, I looked up when you when you were talking about this, um, I was looking up this uh, um, sketch note from Hayley Lewis of Halo Psychology. If people haven't gone and visited her website at Halo Psychology, it's absolutely great. But she's um, got a little sketch note here about three types of autonomy at work mm -hmm. and she talks about first of all the work scheduling autonomy the which is about how the job allows um, you to make your own decisions about how to schedule your work how it allows you to decide the order in which things are done and how it allows you to plan how you do your work she then talks about decision making autonomy which is about how the job offers chances to use your personal initiative or judgment in carrying out the work allows you to make lots of decisions on your own and provides you with significant autonomy in decision making. And then work methods autonomy, which is a job allows me to make decisions about what methods I use to complete my work, gives me considerable opportunity for independence and freedom in how I do the work. And the job allows me to decide on my own how to go about doing my work. And when I thought about that and social work and I thought, you know, what helps you feel empowered at work to for each person, they will have some of those things where they have a greater degree of autonomy and some, depending on legislation um, and statutory requirements, a lesser degree of autonomy. And I thought that it would be interesting to kind of look at this frame and start to think about well, where do I experience autonomy and choice and where can I exercise my freedom, my decision making and where is it that that's very narrow and how do I m manage that and acknowledge it and talk about it um, so that I, I take the autonomy I've got and I also understand the, um, the frameworks and the demands in balance rather than because I think sometimes what can happen is you can feel 
really hedged in and and like all you can do is what the machine tells you almost. But I think if you looked at this frame, you'd start to think, actually, does the job allow me to decide the order in which things are done? To some degree, it does. Does it give me considerable opportunity for independence and freedom in how I do the work? Well, actually, my encounters that I have day to day with people are actually completely within my control um, and are usually based on the interaction, the quality of the interaction, aren't they, as well as the different methods and tools and relationship that I'm levering to um, get that work done. So I think that's an interesting frame to think about. Yeah, and I think there is probably more... In terms of empowerment. Yeah, there's probably more autonomy than we maybe realise because, of course, we notice much more the constraints than we do the freedoms. And I think part of this is about how we start to then think about social work for ourselves or our jobs for ourselves or how we can start to describe them um so I've certainly also found myself when I've got quite overwhelmed starting to um have this picture of my work as a a kind of a bind or you know a, a kind of feeling trapped in some way and once you have that kind of mental view of your work um you notice more of the things that feel like that uh, when there may well be lots of things that don't uh, so so I think how we talk about social work and how we talk about our um, our authority and our expertise and our professionalism and our ability to um, to act as kind of independent professionals, our clinical kind of um, freedom, if you like. I mean, that's that's not language we tend to use in social work, but you know that that um, autonomy around our exercising our expertise when we go into people's homes or when we're um, writing advice when we're writing up a report or you know making professional judgments or putting judgments mm-hmm. forward that's um, that's a very real thing and I think if we talk more about that alongside the constraints that might really help rebalance things a bit yeah I, w- I was thinking particularly around supervision actually Jerry um, and how we have reflective supervision conversations and that they don't always have to be about a case that sometimes they can be about an approach or a value or um, empowerment, those types of things. And I just think that having these type of frameworks um, to have good conversations in teams with your peers but also with your managers can be very helpful in in kind of – can be very empowering um, and allow you to walk away going, yeah, actually – there are there are things within my gift, and I think that really matters in your work. That um, you feel that there is choice, you know, a type of power in your work, in your workplace. And it's interesting. The one of the things I looked at for this podcast was the BASWA Annual Survey of Social Workers and Social Works. This is the British Association of Social Workers Survey for 2022, uh, which has just been reported on. It kind of was completed at the end of 2022 it's just been reported on March 23 um, and it says that a slight majority about just over 50% of social workers feel unable to manage their workload um, and also there's this feeling of public perception of social work is getting worse uh, and I think that's where carving out those areas of empowerment both around well, what control do I have over my workload um, and also how do I perceive social work um, and not not kind of drawing in the um, the negative perceptions to ourselves 
is really, really helpful and really important. Um, because the other kind of really fascinating thing about the survey is that um, respondents were asked whether they agreed or disagreed with the statement that they're happy in the social work profession. And the majority said that they agreed or strongly agreed that they are happy. You know, they mm. people like being social. We we like to be social workers. Yeah. Um, and there's also really strong um, peer support within social work again that comes out in this survey as it did in the working conditions um, research. So there's these real positives, aren't there, of um, empowering ourselves by our kind of sense of purpose, um, wanting mm. to be social workers and feeling dedicated to that, and also that peer support that as I say kind of notices hopefully when we need a bit of a boost or a bit of kind of um, support to take some control yeah I, I think that I think that's exactly right Jerry if you get into a room full of social workers um, and you start to listen to what they say about their job you can see that there's high degrees of motivation um, and 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 you know that there's a there's a lot of a sense of achievement, and um, once again I was kind of um, digging into these sketch notes by Haley, and she's got one which is about three motivational states that help achieve goals, and she talks about um, you know that the can-do state is underpinned by the belief that you can do things that you can actually achieve, the expectation that you can control a situation and have an impact on the outcome. And the perceived cost of being low, such, you know, so for the failure, if you can't get it done, the situation. And when I was looking at that one, I was thinking, oh, you know, as a social worker, how much, you know, power do we feel or how much kind of, of that underpinning do we have? And I thought, actually, you know, hope is um, one of the key things that we transfer into the um, people that we work with, that kind of belief that, that can through, do. Yeah. yeah, that can do, that, that through, you know, effort and changing and resources and structures and things like that, that there can be good difference. And so I thought, well, hope is really, really quite pivotal there. Um, and then they had the reason to, and I thought this one is, for me, a, a real – it, it really underpins a lot of what social workers value bases and it talks about having a strong internal force an acceptance of their own personal responsibility, a clear why, a link to their personal values and identity. And I thought, you know, you just go back to that International Federation of Social Work and you can see, you know, right from the beginning of, of undertaking the social work role, there is a really strong link to personal values and identity and, you know, that invitation to accept personal responsibility and that real drive to make difference. Um, so I think social work is kind of, that's one of our strongest underpinners. Um, and then the last state was about being energised too. So, and that's the one where I thought, yeah, that the, the conversations you were talking about us having earlier, you know, being with our peers talking about the difference that we're making, reinforcing through learning um, the different types of knowledge that uh, is out there around how we can, you know, make difference to societies, to structures, to individual humans. Um, you know, it's a real active, a real active kind of um, profession, isn't it? Um, yeah, I agree. I think one of the things that is really, like, necessary um, and so valuable is, is just time with other people 
social workers or with people who get social work um, and conversations about why we're doing it what difference it's making some of those successes like the real impact um, those conversations you know, which is why you know, quite often if you go to a an event, a learning event, and how you know, how how much people feel like they right now that they can't afford to do that, you know, um, to take the time or to or to put in the resource. But when you do get the chance to spend time with people in a forum where everyone's there to kind of learn and discuss and reflect and celebrate, and there's people with um, loads of practice experience, there's people with loads of lived experience, and there's that, and then you may be hearing about research or kind of you know, stuff that's that's make, you know, showing a difference. Um, how energising that could be and the kind of conversations that happen um, and how that can really tune back into the reasons why you go into social work um, or what it is you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, it's um, it's really necessary, isn't it? I, th I think that's right. If you know, if you want to accept personal responsibility and you want to empower yourself to thrive in this work, then understanding what energises you what gives you purpose and what helps you do it and then really actively seeking out um, those opportunities when you can um, I think is really important. I certainly find for myself that I am really inspired by being um, with teams of social workers. I'm saying I'm a lot today, Jerry. I'm obviously in an ummy Monday It's mood. a reflective podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, and and the other thing, of course, the flip side of this is, you know, yes, tune in and spend time with and you know, expose yourself to the things that inspire and motivate, but also tune out and try and um, not expose yourself to the things that distract. Uh, and yeah, we talked about this back in the in the pandemic that one of the kind of principles of sort of self care and and you know being um, sustaining yourself and kind of looking after yourself and that was just not to get. Um, completely overwhelmed by the amount of information and and bad news and difficult news and it's the same here isn't it you, know, you don't there is there is a lot of public chatter and noise uh, some of which is very valuable uh, because it's about a constructive conversation that is happening although it gets drowned out a lot around how social work can, can develop and how social workers can be supported but there's also just a lot of noise which is kind of uh which <laughs> you just you don't really need and you certainly don't need it day to day at work and you certainly don't need to bring it into the encounters with the people that you're working with um, because in those encounters it's about here am I and this is the organisation behind me and this is what we're doing here um, and trying to steer away from some of that um, kind of the negative perceptions and the and the kind of um, yeah, reportings of crises and things like that you yeah, that 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 become the prevalent story about social work uh, is being able to offer a different story to ourselves and to others. And there's something about honouring your whole self and being a twenty-four-seven, but actually being able to step away from that role and do things that are totally different and finding joy in different activities um, and different people and exposing yourself to other conversations and other ways of thinking and that kind of, you know, kind of not letting any one area of your life become so dominant that you don't have space for anything else. And I think that that often leads to social work burnout, you know, when people are just 
taking their work home, they're thinking about it in the car, they're thinking about it on the weekend, they're, and then they're not allowing any space to do, I don't know, whatever it is that you want to do, do jigsaws, paint, walk, run marathons, climb hills, you know, sit by pools, whatever it is that you want to do. Who, there's The world is full of amazing things to do. And I think that's empowering too, to give yourself permission to go, actually, I can lay this down and I can be other things. Um, because a very demanding profession, isn't it? it? And you've got to be able to have those boundaries and feel okay about them. Yeah, one of the things I've started to do is um, because I, I've got so many things that I want to do and get done and I, you know, I want to kind of work through my work and then I've got things I'm going to do this evening and I've got stuff that I need to do outside and I've got you know, other kind of demands on my time or things that are kind of on my mind. It's just I say will say to myself, I'm doing this now, you know, almost to like as if I was talking to someone next to me who was kind of nagging me about something else. Mm. It's like, no, I'm doing this now because otherwise um, the things that I haven't that I'm not doing stop me doing the things that I'm trying yeah. to do. So, yeah, having that kind of focus on, like, no, this is what I'm doing now. I'm doing this podcast with you. And at the end of it, I'll look at the next thing. Um, and that's really hard because social work is, is um set up for distractions and interruptions and it's also um, something that like you were saying right at the start you can get into this kind of unhealthy environment of not looking after ourselves because that's somehow shows our dedication that kind of being available and ready for anything mm. also can become an unhealthy thing um, because sometimes you do you know, often you need to just be like I'm doing this You need to be, I'm doing this, Jerry. This is one thing that I've learned um, in my life. So, you know, we all have, I think if you've been in uh, a social work career for a long time, you will have had periods where stress overwhelmed you. And when stress overwhelmed me and I was forced into having a rest, um, one of the things the person I was working with to kind of get me back on track said to me, I was saying, oh, I just, you know, it's like my brain's not working properly. I can only like do about three things at once. And this this person went to be well most people don't even do three things at once do one thing at once yeah. do one thing I at think once you might have been wrong actually Joe. I'm not sure you were doing three things at once you might have been doing <laughs> odd bits of three different things in a really exactly exactly <laughs> but I'd really bought into that whole story about multitasking that I could be reading something listening to something writing something you know like just and it was just like no Joanne just Take a job and do the next job. And and you find, actually, that you get things done much more quickly, that the quality is better, and you feel calmer um, if you don't let those things rush at you. But all of that takes – because you've got to be able to say no, haven't you? And when you think about that, that's that's grabbing your power back. The, the ability to say no constructively, to still be helpful – to still be interested, not to feel guilty, but to be clear about your boundaries. That's that's very hard to do, and it's a very empowering thing to do. Um, and it, it's something that we need to do both for ourselves but also for each other because if if we can all model saying no, it will create a healthier and more focused environment. And it also means we won't overpromise to the people we're trying to serve. And if we don't overpromise to them, then we don't take their hope away. 
because I think for me one of the things is that kind of profound disappointment that you can feel as a service user when you're absolutely desperate for things to be different and someone sells you something and when you open it up there's nothing in there um it's very costly and so I think that for the sake of the people we work with we do have to take our power and responsibility which is what empowerment is and be able to be clear about what we need and what we can't do and what we're here to do and what we need what help we need um and I think for me I'm really heartened by how many people as was survey lots of people are trying to find time to talk to the government about all the different reforms happening in adults and in children's um it's good to belong to a professional association it's good to belong to a union it's really important to turn up for peer discussions and to be able to talk clearly and constructively to management so it's not as not as you know an us and them thing but as a this is what we're experiencing these are our challenge demands these are the things that are um that we're kind of working with you know they can deplete us but we feel like we were able to get them done and these are the things that are hindering us that are stopping us from actually thriving that are stopping us they're depleting our energy they're draining our resources um and to be able to be really clear about that yeah and that's again where we can help each other isn't it i mean i was thinking about what you were saying about boundaries and saying no often the no is actually a not right now and that you know, yeah. not only do we need to be able to say that but also to hear that from other people and you know, manage ourselves waiting for that person to be free in order to be able to support us um, but then also yeah to collectively be saying what we need I think it makes such a difference and it takes away that kind of sort of loneliness that can come from stress when you feel mm. like you're the one yeah, who's, you, who's you... not coping or not yeah well, that's a self-talk, isn't it? That you give yourself, you know, um, that kind of. We, when we talked last time about what we're in control of and what we're out of control of, and one of the things, of course, we're in control is of is our thoughts and actions. Um, but what we can tend to do is we can tend to imagine that other people are doing so much better than us, that everyone else is thriving. Um, and as you say, being able to talk about the things that the demands and obstacles that stop us achieving goals and stop us thriving collectively and constructively um, is a is a really empowering thing to be able to do um, yeah. in your organisation. And it means that you'll be an empowered person supported by peers going out to meet other people and say and showing that you know because we were talking about social work being there for the empowerment and liberation of people you need an empowered and liberated person to come mm. out and do and do that social work yeah um, and we are in a context where social work is really really constrained and there's this isn't about pretending that's not the case it's about recognizing that and then taking the control and the power that you can within that yeah because what we what we don't want or people to keep just seeing leaving our profession as as the only option. It's not the only option. Social work is a, a wonderful, rich, rewarding profession done by amazing people, and it's completely worth investing in. But you have to thrive as a person as you invest in it. That's that's you know that's your right as well. And I think um, 
when I think about this kind of inaction, Jerry, I, I know I bang on about it, but I do think about the professional support service because that is social workers taking time out of their work to the social workers to help them thrive. And I think that's tremendously, I think that's empowerment in action to me. Yeah, it really is. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? I came out of the pandemic um, when people were all feeling um, really pressured and overwhelmed and social workers said, we'll help each other. Yeah, we'll, we'll support mm. each other. And they have done. And, and they've been supported again by kind of by you and, and your team and other people involved who've kind of created the the space for that to, to occur. But it's, it's all about um, that generosity to peers isn't it and the reciprocal uh, support it's it's really inspiring and I think that's a lovely thought perhaps um Jerry to leave us with is how how are we able to be generous to each other you know where are our opportunities for generosity to our peers um because you know we know if you can be generous it brings more meaning and joy into your own life, actually. So that act of giving is a really um, strong gift. And, you know, if it's reciprocated, it should be reciprocated, then it's very replenishing. Mm. 